It's 2023, and what is the state of journalism today in our great country of Canada? Well, today I'm going to be talking with our guest, the great Holly Doan, the publisher of the Black Locks Reporter. Welcome, Holly. Nice to see you, David. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense, and innovation. It's urban. It's rural. It's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. Well, Holly, it's an honor to have you back again on Leaders on the Frontier. We want to cover a lot of ground today from Bill 18 regarding, um, you know, taking the um, this huge massive internet um that you know if we look at the 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 social um media providers like facebook um the whole idea was to take revenues from them and shift it over to the media the the so-called content uh providers or producers so how what's your take on bill c18 and how that's all shaken out it's been really quite a week uh, it's my view that the government has understood that the media subsidies have been really unpopular and they're a dog anyway, and they're never going to save the media. And so they wanted to shift responsibility away from this and get the tech giants to pay for allegedly what they are stealing from content. Mm-hmm. That That's the messaging. That's not actually, in, in fact, how it works. Uh, most media outlets at the onset of the internet and with the rise of the social media giants have offered their content for free Mm -hmm. in the hopes that somehow they will get multiple visits, multiple viewers, multiple hits back on their sites, and they'll somehow be able to monetize that. And when they found they couldn't monetize it after a generation of giving it away for free, they now accuse the tech giants of stealing it. So C18 was was meant to ask the tech giants to pay a portion every time you link to a news story that you see on Google or Facebook. So what we Bill C18 passed on the 16th of June after very long and detailed committee hearings and immediately Meta Facebook has said we're out. Um, Meta has said, by the way, the the Parliamentary Budget Office has said that that deal would be, if executed, would be worth about $329 million a year to all of these media recipients. Now, the misleading part about it is it was supposed to help the publishers. They're the ones that are dying. Mm -hmm. And instead, we learned that the lion's share will go to the CBC, followed by the other broadcasters. CBC, followed by the other broadcasters, followed by Post Media. Now, why is that? Because those are the media platforms that are shotgunning their content across the internet for free. So they have the biggest reach. So therefore, they stand to make the most money on links. It's so ironic, isn't it? Right. And and it's been estimated by people familiar with the, the newspaper industry that the amount then of money that would come to all of the print print publishers together would be somewhere between 60 and 80 million dollars that's not enough that's not enough so and in the meantime if c18 is allowed to become well it is law but if it proceeds then the secret deals and there are 18 of them secret deals worked out between the tech giants and media organizations, including the Globe and the Toronto Star, those deals are dead. 
Because if we have to provide a money payment for links, then we're not going to give you your, your millions that we're giving you in these side deal arrangements. So what C18 has done is furthered the mess. Meta has said we're out. Take them at their word. They've said, I've heard the Canadian spokesman for Meta, Facebook, say Canadian news links, not a big part of our business. They're worth about 300 million a year. And if we do this, well, then everybody's going to want the Canada deal. Great Britain's going to want the Canada deal and Germany's going to want the Canada deal. And, and we're not in the news business. That's really not Facebook. So we're out. Mm-hmm. Google, I'm told, is still thinking about it. Google, this is and this is just my interpretation of what's going on. It, we Who knows? <laughs> is maybe willing to kick in some money into some kind of program with a cap that would provide a little bit more money to all of them. But it still wouldn't be enough to save them. And if it was, how do you explain this sudden and dramatic announcement this week that the Toronto Star is merging with its arch enemy, the Post Media newspaper? Yeah, exactly. It, it, they're foundering. So this has arguably made it more complicated and, gosh, how are we going to get out of that? Well, mode? yes. And and what it's done, though, is it, it part of the bill's misrepresentation, according to its proponents, was that it was going to help small providers like us. Well, all the small media that relies, we you wouldn't know about Black Locks if you didn't hear about it over the Internet. Mm-hmm. So to me, even though my content is locked behind a paywall, you have to pay to read it. I have access to 33 million, potentially 33 million Canadian internet users. I don't have to go door to door Uh and flog my product. Here's how you're going to hear about it. Uh So those other outlets, and I'm thinking of a a company called Village Media in Southern Ontario, a very successful company that has been running a chain of local online news websites, has their business has relied almost entirely on that. And they have said they're dead if, if they can't, if they're, content is is not can no longer be accessible through Google or Facebook. But the government didn't want to hear that because this is the dark part about C18. It's not about saving democracy. It's about helping the big outlets, the dying business models who the government cannot envision uh, living without. And it's also about stagnating the smaller upstarts because the government believes that the political upstarts, the independent media, is fearsome. That they are not, I don't mean we are a, we, we are a, a threat in that we cannot be controlled. We don't take the subsidies. We wouldn't rely on uh, payouts from C18. And they fear the left wing and the right wing of all this 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 parade of, of media outlets. And so it, it was insincere, the bill. It not only was there to prop up Eaton's department store. It was there to make sure the small boutique operators weren't part of the spoils. So, so Holly, that sounds like a, a brilliant summary of it because it's nuanced and it's really speaking to the fact that it's not as simple as the, the overall arching message that the government is trying to portray uh, mm-hmm. is not at all accurate. You, you have a, a very complex media environment today and, and I think it's true what you're saying. We have to look at how do you support the entire ecosystem, including the smaller actors, and they're not they're not as controllable as as those large ones. And so the government has an interest in supporting those larger ones. Is that what you're saying? 
Well, yeah, I think the larger ones are a little bit more reliable and it might, you know, be a way of maintaining your 32% in the opinion polls too. Uh, but it, the thing is, when you talk about we have to support, people ask me, well, what's the answer then? Well, you know, see if subsidies don't work and C-18 is not, obviously it's a big mess and more consolidation appears to be happening and we know that's not good. Uh, what's the answer? Well, the answer is a retooling. When Eaton's died, like you thought, oh, I, I thought, oh my gosh, where am I going to get my mixing bowls and my pantyhose? <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I still found other places came around to sell me my mixing bowls and my pantyhose. And I, I'm being a bit facetious. I don't mean to mm-hmm. compare journalism to mixing bowls. Uh, one is a little bit more important, but the concept is the same. So if right. you get small... Listen, Canada, 100 years ago, had many more times the number of media outlets than we have now. Most people don't realize that Winnipeg at the turn of the century had like 91 little local outlets. There were little outlets you've never heard of. In Toronto, there was one called the the Bloor... the Bloor, oh, I can't even remember the name of it. It served the Bloor Danforth corridor and it oh, yeah. was local. And some of them even pooled their news out of Ottawa and shared it all and then just provided their local news on top of that. So small media outlets to survive will will serve their local customers, their, their niche, if you have it. If it's not local, it's maybe niche. Black Locks could be said to be a niche. So, but not as long as the big trees are there occupying the space. So what has to happen is that the big outlets have to get smaller. What does that mean? How do they, mm-hmm. uh, somebody smarter than me told me that, look, I think that the, the little outlets can get big. I don't think big outlets know how to get small. So if you're, um, if you're a big daily paper, what do you, maybe what you have to do is, is pare down what you do, stop trucking newsprint, stop covering sports. Let's say you're going to be a municipal paper. Well, why not be the best municipal paper you can be? And you cover City Hall like the do. And that's exactly. what you do. Wow. And then you leave somebody else to cover Ottawa, mm-hmm. right? Wow. That, that's just your business model. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that it immediately replaces Eaton's department store, that you got your one-stop shop when you picked up the Winnipeg Free Press or the Toronto Star, but you have to start retooling at the bottom. You have to let innovation take take place and that's not going to take place so long as you support the old business model mm-hmm. because the old business model is the devil you know and it and it's the one the government is hanging on to mm-hmm. we have to be bold so related to renewal um we've seen the last several months a lot of um analysis and and uh i think frankly good commentary about the challenges with our freedom of information system uh, some have said it's broken. Um, what do you think? Uh, is it is it uh, serving the public or is it all just a big shield for the powerful? Well, it's not even some who've said it's broken. The uh, <laughs> the information commissioner has said multiple Indeed, times, yes. testimony at a committee that it's broken. She said, in fact, the last time, um, a, a month or so ago when she testified, she said that it, it is so... Uh, hobbled, I, I don't remember her exact quote, but she said, effectively, it doesn't even exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. Wow. Um, 
you know, the, the Globe and Mail with Tom Cardoso and um, Robin Doolittle have done an excellent project where they've been digging into the access to information problem and getting people to send examples and talking about the problems. And I commend them for that. Uh, access to information when it started was innovative in the world. When Pierre Trudeau in introduced it, it was among the first, we were among the first countries to do it. Over time, it has been so eroded that it is now not not only the one of the worst in the world, it has become, uh, instead of a way for citizens to access information, it has become a shield for public servants to avoid releasing information. Why is that? Uh -huh. Well, it's because uh, the, the um, reward and punishment system is backwards. So there is no punishment in the act. There is, there is no penalty in the act for not releasing information. But if you release information that embarrasses your minister or embarrasses your director or embarrasses your prime minister, the prime minister, then there might be, there might be punishment for that. So what has to happen is you have to reverse that. So there has to be either administrative monetary penalty or job dismissal or jail time. I know that sounds crazy, but other acts of parliament carry jail time. This one carries no penalty. Wow. There has to be some penalty for not releasing information, for ignoring deadlines, for blowing past deadlines. And so that then, then there is impetus, there is encouragement to release because there's punishment if you don't. So that it's backwards right now. You're rewarded for not releasing. Mm -hmm. So the world is a little bit upside down in 2023 when we reflect on the history of the Access to Information Act. I think that was in 1982, of all things. That's right. And yep. we have a situation now where the government thinks it's about serving themselves and not the citizen. This is a problem. That's one way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't mean to laugh at your situation. It must have been incredibly frustrating, Holly, and the time and expense but this is how they um, basically uh, undermine democracy um, from my perspective. Not only does the government see partisan media outlets as a threat, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They also see media outlets who like to read their emails as a threat. They see, they see monsters uh, behind every media organization except those who don't rock the boat. Wow. Let, let me give you an example. So you remember, um, the former heritage minister, Melanie Jolie, said, you know, I media is it's important that media hold us to account. I want to be held account to held account, she said, mm -hmm. right up until the heritage department is asked, why did it hire an anti-Semite? And then that question mm -hmm. was never answered. Right. The next uh, heritage minister, Mr. Rodriguez, said, I like tough questions. Ask me the tough questions. I attended a, a World Press Freedom event where he told the, the reporters in attendance, ask me the tough questions. That's great. Right up until Sam Cooper wants to know about the 11 MPs who had contacts with uh, Chinese officials yeah. prior to election. Then, then suddenly uh, we're not answering tough questions. We are obfuscating. We are blocking. And we are uh, engaging in any process we can to avoid a public inquiry that would really have the tough questions. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is, um, it can't be about rhetoric and words. It's got to be about action. And this whole nonsense undermines people's trust in government. And we need high trust if we're going to have a high functioning democracy. And the thing about, act, yes, you need information. You need transparency yes. is absolutely critical. But the thing, every single government, 
since Pierre Trudeau probably has promised to make reforms to the Access to Information Act. I'll give you every cent in my bank account if somebody actually does it. Wow. Every government says they want to do it. And then when they get into office, they will tinker around the edges and say, look, we, 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 we made it better. And some governments did. Um, Stephen Harper made uh, Crown Corporations accessible to the access. They weren't before. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Bryson, the former Treasury Board president, yeah. capped the fee for an information request at $5. So they nibble around the edges, mm-hmm. but I mean, you should tell me a government that promises to actually make information available by, by default and be more transparent with media requests or requests from the public or not see the requester as a predator, as we were described in court, and I'll vote for that person until I'm dead. Wow. Well, you heard it on here today by by you, Holly Doan, about the importance of this information and for democracy. And I, it's quite disturbing uh, to hear this. And we really need to be fierce, fearsome uh, when it comes to pursuing this information for uh, everything's really at stake because all of this relates to freedom of expression, freedom of speech, which has really been foundational to move our society forward, hasn't it, Holly? Yeah, and you know that all these attempts to uh you know, monitor the internet to to penalize for hurtful but legal comment on the internet. The uh, move to create a digital safety commissioner that would be uh, responsible for chasing down people who exactly. make remarks. Um, the supports to media that acts as a harness on media freedom. All of these things are an attack on the freedom of expression. I think, and media control in particular. You know, media freedom is guaranteed in our constitution. What does that mean? Freedom of expression in the Constitution. That means uh, freedom from government regulation. Exactly. That's what that means. Yeah. What else does it mean? Who else is going to who else is going to limit my freedom? Yeah. You're not going to be able to do it. But I guess the Minister of Heritage can. That's what it means. So we are trespassing on everything, all the foundational things that we used to believe in in this country. Yeah. Wow. And well said. And, and we can't take it for granted. So this gets me to my next question around, you know, there's a lot of confusing terms used like misinformation versus disinformation. So what do we mean by those terms, Holly? I don't get too obsessed about them. I'm more worried about just finding facts in my (laughs) business. Um, But my understanding is that misinformation is a a misrepresenting or a twisting of the facts or an omission, whereas disinformation is actually something that's wrong to lead you to a different conclusion. So, and there's what, another one called malinformation. Yes, like, and malinformation. Oh, you got to Google that. Right, but but what I find so ironic, even paradoxical, is the whole throwing around of these terms by who is it again? Oh, yes, a lot of government leaders and actors as a kind of a pretext to do what? To shut down discussion, to shut down the facts. Is that, am I right. misreading that? Well, and I and I do believe it when I say that, well, there might be misinformation out there from online bad yeah, actors. Sure. I, I sure. see, I see those and I just block them and don't mm-hmm. follow them. Now, maybe if some people can't parse through that, I, that's a problem, but one way to replace in, misinformation is replace it with information. 
Right. When infor- when the people who are supposed to be providing information leave the field, when they leave the arena, then all these bad actors will step in there. So with, with the failure of journalism to be providers of, of real information, and I don't mean press releases or today's theater in question period, but to provide real information, as we were talking about earlier, about the outcome of government programs, not merely the announcements, then the, the, the perpetrators of misinformation will find their way into our narrative. Exactly. And, and that that's that that's the problem. Yeah, and and also we need to encourage each other to commend each other in a respectful way to dare to have the confidence to have a real debate. Healthy debates and discussions are good, are they not, Holly? Well, sure. And when reporters uh, actually find some information and report it, who the hell is a government MP, some MP from Whitby? to call that reporter up before committee and bully him exactly. for his story. Yeah. Who, who is the authority from wow. the MP from Whitney on uh, Whitby on, on Chinese interference to, you can't have it both ways. No, this is utterly wrong. Media and- yeah. Shame on that MP. So the Twitter files, we've learned a lot about misinformation. So we found out a lot of things, including how 18 um, U S government agencies were systematically censoring, blocking, changing, canceling all kinds of information on every key narrative on the internet from COVID-19 to a myriad of other things, just like narrow political agenda. It was really quite disgusting. So was the, were the Twitter files a surprise to you, Holly, and the reaction that came out of that? I, maybe this is going to surprise you. Um, I find the, um, the flood of American news is another problem for Canada. Yes, that the flood of American news replaces the news that should be about Canada. And so that people who are at home watching CNN start to think, start to think that that's their narrative is about us. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's not. But however, having said that, we did find out that um, a government department and the, the, the individuals were named, uh, contacted Twitter and Facebook and asked them to take down a column by Edmonton's Sun columnist, Lauren Gunter. Uh, and so it was happening here. Do I think it was happening to the extent that we see in America? I'm not really sure. But then Maybe it's the dog that didn't bark. I think Matt Taibbi, the reporter who broke that, said there was some evidence of Canadian mm-hmm. departments involved. Yes. But I, I never heard uh, many stories other than that one. Did you? I had heard a, a, about a number of them, but I, I think your main point is very, very important. And that is how much U.S. information spills, obviously not in just not into Canada, but really around the world and how mm-hmm. that drives these dysfunctional narratives or lack of information when in fact Canada could be, well, as, as I, I know your vision is, could be a, a wellspring of vigorous journalism and information, ironically. I'm always almost grief stricken when I see any story, uh, let's say a lead or the second story on CBC or CTV that's about an American story. Right. I agree. I don't want to hear about Hunter Biden laptop yeah. or the Twitter files mm-hmm. at the top of my Canadian newscast. I think that yeah. is replacing the news that they're not bothering to get for you about what there's plenty going on in this country. And I am, you know, it's it's funny. It's so cute to think like when Sheila Copps was heritage minister in the 90s, she legislated that the American news magazines Time and Newsweek 
what had to have a Canadian insert in the yes, middle. Yes, I remember that. Yes. He was trying to battle this Canadian pollution, this right. cross-border cultural pollution. How quaint to yeah. think of that now. We are overwhelmed by it. So again, if we leave the field, all that American garbage. Right on. Well, and, and the other irony is that it almost seems like some politicians in Canada use that as a kind of a foil <laughs> to try to transplant that narrative um, simplistically. Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade. My, yeah. my goodness, could it happen here? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So when I look at the um, the state of journalism in 2023, it sounds like a pretty mixed bag. We know it's so important. Um, and if you look at hope and action that we can take as citizens, um, what can we do to help move this agenda forward and help strengthen journalism? It's such a critical part of democracy in our country. Any advice? Well, it would be too easy for me to say, uh, carefully analyze your media options, both large organizations in mainstream and small media outlets. Mm -hmm. Try to set your partisan views aside, left or right, and have a look at an organization and ask, who are they? Are they journalists? Are they activists? Are they uh, partisans from another life? Mm -hmm. Are they journalists? What is the, and, and, and subscribe. Pay. And I know people say, well, I don't have so much money and my, my, so much of my money is already going in to the CBC and to the uh, other mainstream media. But uh, it's not too crazy to say you should write to your MP, particularly if your MP is a liberal. Absolutely. But, uh, I also think that it's time to take access to information more seriously. Why are you leaving it to half a dozen journalists who are overworked and maybe on the edge of being laid off or retired? Like Canadians have to, uh, if you're an activist in your local constituency association, I think you should participate in that way. Access to information is important. Look into that one. Ask your party and your your to, to make changes, to commit to changes, because transparency is, is key. Um, I think you go a little easy on individual journalists uh, this is a, this is a, an industry that is in crisis. It is a wholesale depression. If it was any other industry, if it was mining or forestry, like mm -hmm. people would be in, in Ottawa, like with pitchforks, demanding that the, the government do something about it. And I think that individual reporters can only do so much. So I would say go easy on them in social media, but where you can subscribe, speak up, offer testimonials, say what you want, tell the government what you want. And that doesn't just mean sitting in, in your basement, like grousing on Twitter. Well, well said. Holly Doan, the publisher of Black Locks Meet Reporter. We're so delighted that we could have this conversation. And thank you so much for your courage and your leadership. Well, I think, you know, I lived in China and we had a phrase there. It was called, uh, it said, Niguo Jiangla, which means basically translated, you overpraise. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And Shesian. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.